conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back. I am joined by a brand new guest today. I'm talking with Dan Pullen about the Pixar movie WALL-E, which came out in 2008. It doesn't seem like it came out that long ago, but it has been a while. Dan, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. How, uh, how are you doing? Thanks for having me on. Of course, I am doing pretty good as well. Doing lots of podcasts during the quarantine, and <laughs> yeah. I, I like it because I get to keep a nice backlog of episodes. Oh, yeah. That, no, that is good. That is good. It's funny. We um we haven't been podcasting that much. My counterpart generally records at uh, his library, uh, which is now shut down. Uh, so he has he has no place to record. So we're kind of taking a hiatus and I'm I'm watching a bunch of different type of movies than I usually do. Well, that's a plus for you, I guess, because you get yeah. to just kind of watch whatever you want. And <laughs> I understand the struggles that a lot of people have been going through. Thankfully, I already worked from home, so I had this thing down. So nice. basically, I just sit here and do podcast stuff pretty much all day because I edit podcasts for work. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. So you work, you play, it's it's all intertwined. Nice. Yeah, exactly. And Wally was one of those movies that definitely felt a lot more like play than work when I was preparing for this episode. So it's one of the Pixar movies that just brings such human emotion to these non-human characters. And mm. it felt similar in the way that Toy Story does with how they humanize the toys. And it's just something that I think Pixar is so good at. So is there any one thing in particular with Wally that stood out to you? Well, um, I watched this uh, with my kids. So I've got three sons, uh, one who's turning 15 and twins who are turning 12. Wow. And my 15-year-old, this was definitely one of the movies that he was obsessed with. You said, you know, you mentioned it came out in 2008. So it came out when he was three. By the time he was four, like he was watching it, you know, multiple times a week. And uh, to, I think to the point where I honestly got, <laughs> I got sick of it at one point or another. <laughs> it was like, let's watch something else, please. But, um, y- you know... And it had been a, quite a few years since I had sat down and watched it. So I, I told them all I was going to rewatch it and asked who wanted to come. My 15-year-old came because, you know, one of his favorites. And surprisingly, <laughs> my twins, one of them loves movies. Okay. And the other one can barely make it through 20 minutes of a movie. Sometimes he'll sit down and watch a movie with me and he'll be like, I'm going to go. He wanted to watch Wally, e And that was a shock. He just, he says he loves it. He loves the little robots. And it's cute. And something that they both commented on was the the silent film quality of it. And I was really surprised that they both liked it. It's it's the thing that probably is most endearing to me right. about this movie is, is just that so much of the first half, at least, is a throwback to so many genres and you know pieces of film that I love. The, the incorporation of, of the musical numbers with Hello, Dolly and that. Um, how the main character reminds me of like Don Knotts or Danny Kaye. 
um, and how it they they really worked to to have that sort of Chaplin esque uh, Hal Roach quality to it. Like I'm not surprised that I love it yeah. for those aspects. I was surprised my kids loved it for those aspects because they don't even know what those aspects are. Right, and I think that's something else that Pixar is great at doing. They make these movies that are for kids, but they're not entirely for kids. I would never say that, oh, it's an animated movie, it's for kids, I'm not going to watch it, because I've loved so much of Pixar's work, and granted, I haven't seen everything. I'm missing, you know, Cars, Ratatouille, a couple big ones that I think a lot of people have seen if they're Pixar fans, but it's something that I've noticed over the years. Yeah, I'm missing a couple as well. Like I said, with with having kids, I've had to watch some of them that I didn't even want to watch. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, most most every single one of them is great because you know there there there's humor for kids and for adults, and the and the storytelling itself is you know it has an emotional quality, and you know you, you really get to to feel the the impact of of what the characters are going through. So almost universally, these are movies that people of any age or, you know, interest in film, they could they can love. Absolutely. And I do want to take a moment to talk about the cast, especially since we just learned of Fred Willard's passing recently. Oh, yeah. I actually forgot he was in this movie. So when I went to watch it this weekend, it was totally unintentional that it came right after his passing and he's not in it very long but he's fantastic in it as usual and you have <laughs> yes. the voices of Ben Burt, Alyssa Knight, Jeff Garland, John Ratzenberger <laughs> that's always fun to see when you get yep. these familiar voices who cross over and do other things besides what we all know and love them for. Yeah, and we also had uh Sigourney Weaver. Yes. in the cast of this one which was I I'd, I'd completely forgotten that. And one of the neat things, you know, uh, in researching this, you know, deeper into this, uh, Ben Burt, who voiced Wally and uh, various other robots, he's done a lot of voice work, um, especially for Pixar films. And the little nugget that I found that I loved is he voiced the tortured droid in Return of the Jedi. (laughs) (laughs) That is quite the nugget. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so uh, that was that was quite a special find. And it's such a great voice cast for how little speaking there is for probably about half of the movie. And this movie runs about an hour and 40 minutes, give or take a few minutes. It's mm-hmm. not something that's super long. And most Pixar movies really aren't going to be pushing that two to two and a half hour limit like some of the latest live action movies do just because of the extent that they go through to get this animation done. It's such a high quality. And Mm. it's one of those things where if you go back and you watch something like A Bug's Life and Toy Story, you can see how different the animation is and how much the technology has evolved. But I don't think that necessarily means it's easier to create these movies. Right. Yeah. You 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 know, you think, oh, it's, it's all on a computer. So it's just, they just make it, you know, they just hit some buttons and it's done. But then like, um, well, probably six or seven months ago, my son made me watch Food Fight, which was a uh, notoriously bad uh, computer animated film. <laughs> and you can, you could definitely see the difference in quality between something like a Pixar film and something like Food Fight. 
<laughs> it's one of those things where there's a fine line between having really good animation and Toy Story is a movie that still holds up given the time it was released because we know that even though the animation doesn't look as good as it does now, it looked as good as it possibly could have for the time that it was created and produced. And with Wally, -E, you get this sense that they really wanted to play around with the animation in this one because you have the robots, you have just all of this trash on Earth, and you don't really get into the crowds of people. And when you do, it's massive amounts of people and robots, and it's just all out in how much motion is going on on the screen once you get Wally -E on, you know, the big yacht ship in space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, another interesting thing, they pulled in Roger Deakins uh, as like a consultant as far as like, you know, how would he shoot this if it was live action? What what look would he be going for and all this stuff? So, you know, it's that kind, it's that level of care and yeah. thought, you know, that, that these guys go into. It, it really does make Pixar films different even than, you know, like I said, I compared it to freaking food fight but even a lot of the dreamworks stuff i don't think reaches the level of pixar yeah and you can't expect everyone to be at the level that pixar is at because there's a reason they've been at the top of the game for so long whether it's because steve jobs came in and gave them a push that they needed or you know the purchase by disney they've always had this steady flow of sort of creative genius, honestly, when you look back at a lot of these movies. And with Wally, -E, like you mentioned earlier, it has this silent aspect to it, even though there's still some noises, you know, you hear things fall off a shelf or the little cockroach mm. friend just making <laughs> yeah. his little happy noises and things like that. Or even the movie that he keeps watching over and over, the musical. And yep. you get this sense that this robot is living a very lonely life, can make noises, but can't actually speak anything other than Wally. -E. So you get this moment where Eve comes and you have Wally -E trying to interact with Eve and calls her Eva the entire time because that <laughs> level cute. of pronunciation isn't there. And she's such a sophisticated robot in comparison to Wally -E because of the sleek new design. And Wally -E literally looks like a piece of trash that was left <laughs> behind because he's kind of grungy and has parts falling off and needs to be, you know, repaired every now and then, which thankfully there's a plethora of, you know, leftover parts from all the other robots that are no longer functioning. <laughs> right. But you just get this nice moment when the two robots meet of how human Wally -E has become just from watching the same clip over and over and over again. Yeah, I, I really think it's interesting the way, you know, his, I guess his AI, like, yeah. developed, right? Because so many times, I was thinking about other movies that dealt with AI, and generally, it's evil, you know? Yeah. Or maybe not evil, but at least self-serving. Like, I watched Ex Machina for the first time uh, about a week ago. Okay. You know, that was a very 
surprising movie in a lot of ways, the way they took it. You know, yeah. I won't necessarily say that, that she was she was evil, but she definitely was she was self-serving. Absolutely. And you don't have a lot of stories where, you know, the AI becomes this cute, happy guy who loves musicals. Yeah. <laughs> so it that was refreshing. Um and it's uh, it created a nice i thought it created a really nice parallel between the robots finding a connection in their limited aspects and then the humans who had become you know disengaged from real human interaction so you you had the the john ratzenberger character and the uh i can't remember her name but you had those two human characters who all of a sudden kind of looked away from their screens for a minute and they were able to interact and you know form form a bond the same way that uh, Wally and Eve Eve did. <laughs> yeah, and you also have the little robot rebellion, which is something that Solo put into play with the droid rebellion and droids getting yeah. freedom in that movie. So it's one of those things where you see that and you're like, wow, everything was so regimented for not only the robots, but the people as well. And they have essentially been brainwashed to just watch these screens all the time. And this was coming out at a time where social media was getting more and more popular and Mm. the news was all over the place. You couldn't escape the news if you wanted to. You still can't today. I mean, you kind of can with filters (laughs) and things like that. But it really was sort of this glaring representation of just how far technology could go and could suck people in, which is terrifying because this takes place so far in the future compared to the present day, even. You're like, oh my goodness, what if this is what happens in (laughs) 700 years or something? Like, just because of everything going on. Right. You know, um, so I grew up you know, like mostly in the 80s uh, into the 90s. And, you know, we had like two televisions in the house. And if you watched more than like an hour a day, your mom was like, you're melting your brain. And, (laughs) you know, now like uh, there are screens in multiple screens in every room of my house. And that's all we do is we look at, you know, the computer and the tablet and the the television. And uh, it's... I don't want to, I have, I have faith in humanity that, you know, like the outside world and human interaction is, um, is something that is beautiful enough that it's going to keep us together. But at the same time, it is scary. It really is. And since we're doing a video Skype call right now, you can probably see the large amount of books behind me. A lot of the reason (laughs) why I still buy physical books is because sometimes I just want a break from screens. And even though the Kindle is e-ink and better for your eyes and all of that stuff, I just like having physical books because it just sort of gives me a chance to step away from the screens, go sit somewhere and read and not be, you know, looking at my computer monitor that I have my iPad here and my phone here, even my Kindle is on my desk. Like you said, we literally have screens everywhere. And that was certainly the case on 
that giant yacht spaceship because they weren't even actual screens either. They were kind of like just these hovering things that would turn into screens. And you're like, it's literally (laughs) everywhere. And it was just in front of their faces all the time. And even though you could see through them, the people were choosing not to see what was on the other side of that screen. Right. Yeah. Multiple characters, you know, after they like flipped their screen off, they're like, we have a pool. (laughs) 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 So, yeah, it's funny. And it's one of the things that I, you know, I don't, I really have an aversion to overly preachy movies, you know, when it comes to this stuff. I, I thought all of the, the foreboding, you know, the ecological stuff, the, the things about the screens and everything. I thought it was really well done in this movie where it didn't seem like it was overbearing and kind of finger wagging. You know, a lot of it was played for humor. Yeah. I think the thing that helped it too is it wasn't really in the main focus. It was more like just an environment in which the story of Wally took place. You know what I mean? It wasn't yeah. the main focus. Like, what, what did humans do to the earth? You know, it was just like, okay, this is what happened. And here's a little robot and this is where he lives. And you can take from it what you want rather than having messages given to you. Yeah, exactly. There was this subtle commentary on the side in addition to the main focus being Wally's story because you see all of the humans are all overweight now because they don't even walk. And you see that when (laughs) all of them finally get out of their chairs, it's like they have sea legs almost. And (laughs) I'm surprised most of them were even able to stand up as long as they did. But you can tell that it's like their muscles have not been used in any way other than to grab a drink or grab food, which was in a cup and shove it in their face. And then you even have that little infographic where they say, oh, you've lost bone mass. (laughs) (laughs) That that was my favorite. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yeah, they definitely would not have been able to stand, you know, like physics were a real thing in this movie. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Yeah, the the proportion of mass to bone would just, you know, crushing. And I think in the original script, all of that was going to be like on a bigger scale, like humans would have evolved like into blob creatures that would have looked more alien. But I, for me, thankfully, they, they abandoned that and just went with like big babies. Yeah. <laughs> Rather than, yeah, total, uh, total creatures from, from something else. <laughs> it was just one of those things where you see it and even though it's not the main focus of the story, you instantly know what Pixar is trying to get across <laughs> in those moments. You know what the commentary is supposed to be without it blatantly being told to you. And then you do have sort of that evil self-serving AI with the steering, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the auto or auto, um, and who has, who literally has the Hal, uh, the Hal eyeball right yeah. in the middle of him. So, um, but yeah, that was, there was a lot of little subtle things. You know, I, I had always noticed they show the various captains, uh, uh, the pictures of the captains, and you see that they're getting uh, more rotund over time. <laughs> yeah. I'd never noticed that the auto's uh, light gets brighter in each subsequent picture. Like he's, I didn't catch that. 
Yeah, I, I didn't actually either. I read about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that smart. But, you know, like, that's just, you know, little subtle storytelling uh, nods, I think, that really help get messages across. That's what Pixar's so good at, too. And obviously, this movie is named Wally, so we should probably talk a little more about the title character here, but you <laughs> yeah. really get this full story arc for Wally because you see the lonely life the little robot is living and he just wants to complete his mission and keeps putting trash in his little box there and squishing it all up and stacking it nice and neatly. And it's just so adorable to watch him continue to try, even though we all know it's probably pretty futile to <laughs> want to clean up all of that trash by himself. But once Eve comes along, Eva, as Wally calls the robot. <laughs> yeah. He's so infatuated with her. He's like a little puppy dog following her around everywhere. And he's clumsy and awkward. And that's yeah. when all of these human characteristics really start to shine. And you go all the way to him going to the lengths of stowing away on the ship that <laughs> Eva came on and then making it back to this giant yacht and really getting lost and infuriating the robot that needs to clean up after him because he's a foreign <laughs> contaminant. <laughs> yeah. That that was a really funny part. I think I mentioned before Wally really reminded me a lot of of Don Knotts. Yeah. And in particular, I don't know if you ever saw the movie The Incredible Mr. Limpet. I did not. Where Don Knotts Don Knotts becomes uh like a fish and he falls in love with a fish uh named Ladyfish. God, that's a horrible name, but that's what her name is. Anyway, it's very much a similar. It's a similar story in a lot of ways because uh, Lady Fish, you know, she's been a fish all her life. She's much more sophisticated, and she's she's kind of teaching uh, Don Knotts uh, things along the way. And you know, I liked that little goofball quality of Wally with the very sophisticated, high-tech, get-things-done Eve character with her arm cannon and uh, her directive, you know? So I, I really liked the juxtaposition of those two characters. And it made for a great little robot love story. Yeah, that's really what it is by the end of it. And at first, you know, Eve comes in so hot and destroying everything. And you're like, okay, <laughs> hold on. Is this robot good or bad? Because she is super destructive with that little arm cannon that she has. <laughs> and it's just so funny to see the juxtaposition of how much damage Eve can do and what Wally is trying to do in comparison. His mission is to clean up all this trash to make Earth better. And we see how big of a task that is for such a small robot and you see his personality and his little living space with all of the Christmas lights strung up and this whole mechanism that he has going round and round so that he has everything stored nice and neatly so there's something very mechanical while very personable about him and with Eve you're just like oh my goodness she's going to accidentally blow Wally up when you first yeah, really. watch them meet and he kind of makes these little noises and she freaks out and blows up a whole mound of 
trash and you're kind of like scared for Wally for a bit there. And then you find out what her mission is and it's to see if there's any life. And there's this one little plant that gives both of them some hope in the end and even winds up giving the humans hope. So just finding that one small thing drives the entire second half of this story. And it's such a clever way to push things forward in the story without being so blatant and having to force it in there. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, you know, almost quite literally, you're you're getting the humans back to their roots, plant roots. haha. And, you know, it it's a nice element for that to be the like you're saying the the thing that drives that the second half of that plot along yeah and i think story-wise everything they do is just so clever and so subtle too they're never in your face about anything you have wally constantly trying to hold eve's hand and there's always (laughs) some reason he doesn't go through with it and it's actually eve who initiates that after basically rebooting wally because she gives him you know this new logic board or whatever it is and you see that she is scared you're feeling all of these emotions from a robot and sometimes you're just like dang it pixar why did you do this to me (laughs) Yeah, it's really, um, that is a special thing, you know, because to be able to feel, to feel real emotions for robots or puppets or, or something that you, you know isn't real, but for them to, to um, be able to breathe life into them in a way that you, you really become invested. You know, this, we, we said it, it, this is a robot love story at its core. There aren't very many of those and not very many good ones. Not that are coming to mind. I was trying to think of some today, but nothing really you know, jumped out at me. There's, there's a lot of stories where, where robots will gain, you know, some semblance of humanity, but not really good old fashioned love stories. Yeah. And I think because of, the musical that Wally watches over and over, that's where that sort of old school love story comes from at its core, because that's really all he knows about the topic of love. And you see that kind of play out slowly throughout the movie. They don't just bombard you with it. Obviously, it's sort of a love at first sight thing for Wally, but it's not like it's something that's mutual. He has to work for it and then sort of constantly pester Eve, but not in a creepy kind of way like you would see in some human love stories. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I think one of the nice things is you you saw that that growth in Eve, too, because she, you know, at first didn't really, you know, like I said, she was just blowing stuff up. Uh, and you know, following her her directive, she started to care about Wally just on the level of you know wanting him to survive and and wanting him to you know not get crushed and things like this. You know, as he goes through his misadventures along the way, so their connection is a friendship at first, and I, I think it's a it's really real. Um, it's not until she sees all the footage yes. of how he cared for her when she was in her little robot coma. You know, she she starts to understand 
the kind of the depth of emotion that Wally has for her. I thought that was a nice, nice element. You get these reactions just with Eve's eyes because that's the most animated part on the robot given the sleek design. Wally has all these little quirks because he has <laughs> yeah. the tape player and yep. you know, he has the little cockroach friend following yep. him around everywhere and even just the movement with Wally's eyes too when he, you know, puts a new one on and has to sort of adjust them <laughs> and get them working just right again. You know, with Eve there's a lot less that you can get from the robot itself. So it's all just those digital eyes. And, you know, her arms do obviously change because one turns into that blaster cannon (laughs) that I mentioned earlier. But otherwise, it's just this clean white design, very opposite of Wally. And I think that contrast there is what kind of makes you feel like, okay, you know, they each are going to have their own quirks, but obviously Wally is sort of the one who is kind of living in the past with the design element. Yeah, and uh, I, you know, they they took that a lot from the Chaplin stuff. You know, uh, he always played the tramp. Um, he was a little grubby, you know, tattered, and in most of the Chaplin tramp movies, he would always fall for a much more sophisticated uh well-to-do lady you know you'd have his you know that kind of the love story from the other side of the tracks yeah and it's just played out so well again i feel like you know it's one of those movies where if i talk about it too long i'll probably get a little repetitive but i do want to talk about some of our just favorite funny little moments that we enjoyed from the movie because there were quite a few moments where you're just like, okay, that was a great laugh. Yeah, I really loved the cockroach. Uh, I called him Jiminy Cockroach. <laughs> Perfect. Um, I loved when he would dive into the Twinkie, into okay. the Twinkie yeah. filling. And in general, another thing that they did really well um, was sort of incorporate nostalgia uh, with the Rubik's Cube and all that stuff. Yeah. Pong. <laughs> yeah, Pong, right? You know, if you really think about it, it doesn't make much sense because, you know, this, uh, I think the humans left, uh, oh, wait, I did the math, hold on. The humans, like, left in 2110, so, like, 100 years from now. Yeah. So why is Wally drawn to 1970s and 1980s? Uh, and even before, you know, he's watching Hello, Dolly on a, on a VHS tape. It doesn't make much sense, but it feels good. (laughs) It's like he's finding those last relics of this era that's totally unknown to him. And while I am a 90s kid, not a 70s or 80s kid, it was still a lot of stuff that I recognize. You know, over the years, I've played video games. So I knew about Pong, never really played it. I never had a Rubik's Cube, but I had a bunch of friends who did. It's one of those things that has somehow lived on. I think they still sell Rubik's Cubes in like the toy aisles and stuff. My kids have like a Rubik's Cube each and one of my kids has three. And I'm like, what are you do with them <laughs> like uh, why do you have these why do you need three <laughs> why do you have multiple but yeah it it really um there are things you know from generation to generation that that do uh survive and and last and yeah even even my kids you know like i said they're 12 and 15 and they know what pong is 
They know the history of video games. So there's there are these touchstones through these generations. Uh, and they they hit all they hit a lot of the right notes uh, in Wally. Yeah, and then you have the ball and the paddle that he tries to play with, and it just like <laughs> hits him in the eyes and hits him all over the place. And it's just yeah. one of those little things that just makes the movie so much better. And I really loved when the captain was like, "What is Earth? What is sea?" <laughs> 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 yeah, that one like there were there were a lot of things that I forgot about. And that was one of the ones that really killed me. What yeah. you see and you know uh starts describing it and you know it's stupid but like that whole thing about uh growing pizza, you know, it's like that's dumb but it's hilarious at the same time. Yeah, because these people have been so disconnected from land for so long most of them probably were born on this yacht spaceship thing and have no idea what any of this stuff is so it just goes to show how long they've been away and how disconnected they have become from history in general because they don't even know what these things are and it's like how do you not know what the sea is (laughs) you know yeah i mean most of their their existence is just like what it what flavor juice is going to be in their uh, big gulp cup uh, today? You know, so they've they've been set up to live a life of comfort and very very little. You know, there was something else um, when he was reading the manual, barely knew how to read. Yeah, you know, and that's another aspect that I had kind of forgotten about and. Uh, surprised me. There was a lot of that stuff that reminded me of um, Idiocracy. I don't know if you've seen that one, but it's it's very similar. Um, a guy uh, travels into the future, and he was super dumb in our time, but you know, six hundred years in the future, he's the smartest person on the planet because he knows like how to do basic math and what a screwdriver does, and you know things like that. Yeah, that's one of the things where you're kind of like, oh my goodness, they are so into these screens and just getting everything at their fingertips when they ask that they have no idea what it takes to do anything in life. And you even see the class of the very small toddlers and they're just teaching them, you know, the alphabet, but it's like B is for whatever the name of the place was (laughs) and you're just (laughs) like uh okay are you going to teach them anything of value here (laughs) yeah no it it was it was really they were in a sad state you know when when i saw that the the captain the the leader of this whole organization was uh struggling to to read uh, an instruction manual uh you know it's like wow that's that's a sad state yeah, absolutely. Well, Dan, is there anything else you want to mention before we wrap up? Oh, do you know what I did? I rewatched some other movies okay. from my childhood that had similar qualities in that they were largely silent. I watched, uh, well, this one, this was, this was silent. Uh, the animated film, The Snowman okay. uh, from 1982. It's about half an hour long and... Uh, much like the Polar Express, it comes from like a picture book. But unlike the ad- adaptation of the Polar Express, they kept that you know visual storytelling element. So I had a lot. I had a really good time uh, revisiting that. It was really beautiful. 
And the other one that I watched was The Black Stallion from 1979. Okay. Again, that one very much like Wally was a movie in that was in two halves. Uh, the first half, uh, there's a shipwreck and a boy and this black stallion end up on an island off the coast of Africa. And it's a boy and a horse. What do they have to say to each other? So they just spend much of the, the movie kind of interacting silently and getting to know each other and riding and swimming. And it is absolutely gorgeous. And the second half of the movie becomes like a horse racing uh, tale. Okay. With Mickey Rooney in it. And it, it both both halves are really good. But I I found it interesting to to go back and kind of take a look at those. Um and it, it just a lot of it that because like I said, you know, my kids that was the element of this story that they they looked at and and talked about and that really surprised me. So I started thinking a lot about, you know, the way visual storytelling maybe isn't featured that much anymore. And, you know, it's it's something, you know, you don't always need to be force-fed this nonstop action and noise and dialogue and everything to get a, a point of, a, of a, a good story across. Yeah, I totally agree. And even though I'm obviously a big fan of the geeky movies like Marvel, DC oh, yeah. movies and things like that, it's one of those things where sometimes it's just refreshing to watch something that is so beautifully done like Wally and I didn't go back and revisit any other movies but I did watch the little Bernie short. Oh yeah. Oh, I'd never seen that before. I watched that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I watched it because I saw it pop up on Disney Plus as these things do because they put <laughs> pretty much all of the Pixar shorts that exist on there. Yep. And I was like I think I watched this because I have done an episode specifically just on Pixar shorts. So I had gone back a while ago and watched a ton mm. of them. And some I had remembered, you know, watching before the movies came on on the VHS tapes back in the 90s <laughs> yeah, and things yeah. like that. But with Bernie, it was just kind of like this fun little story of a different robot from that robot's perspective. And Wally and Eve were still present, but it wasn't entirely about them. You just see sort of the mundane life of this one robot <laughs> and yeah. how it can get messed up so easily by these other robots that aren't even paying attention to what's happening. And it was just such a cute little moment. And you can tell there was like this frustration and it was just a nice little supplement to the movie. Yeah, it definitely was. And you know, if you go back through like all the old, you know, Looney Tunes shorts and, and the MGM shorts and stuff. Yeah, most oftentimes you have the, the Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny and Troopy Dog and all that stuff. But there there were a lot of cartoons like that, you know, even even back in the day where everything was was music cues and and, you know, facial expressions and kind of a throwback to to silent comedy. And uh, a lot of those things tend to be forgotten, uh, you know, with the big iconic characters from the old cartoons kind of taking center stage. I thought that Bernie really uh, captured that that aesthetic extremely well. I had a great time watching that. Yeah, and it's this quick little eight-minute thing, and 
it's fun when Pixar does things like that, because even just something like the Toy Story credits, where it's a bunch of bloopers, you know how much effort had to go into <laughs> making those things. It's not like they could have bloopers like a live action, literally on accident, but it's one of those things that you know they're going through and crafting these for the audience's entertainment. And that's really what Bernie felt like as well. And it's just so fun all around. And it's sort of this heart-wrenching story at the same time, but they give you enough laughs to sort of even it out. And I was just so glad to go and revisit this one. I'm not someone who typically re-watches movies a whole lot, but I found myself doing it more for the podcast, but I've been enjoying it so much. I'm kind of like, maybe I should make a list of movies that I really like and would rewatch potentially every year or something just for fun. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I'm I'm very much the same way. I'm like a compiler. You know, I always want to be watching new things. And like, yep. you know, I'll, if I find a list of like the 100 greatest some things, I'm like, well, okay, I've seen 63 of them. Uh, time to get on it. <laughs> uh, you know, very nerdy. As a matter of fact, there's a spreadsheet open on my computer right now about the Palme d'Or winners. And I'm like, well, which ones have I seen? Oh, I haven't seen very many from the 40s. I should. So, uh, you know, that's very ridiculous, but that's, that's what they do. So, like you said, I don't rewatch enough movies. And it's it's really cathartic a lot of times and you you remember why you fell in love with movies i rewatched um back to the future the back to the future trilogy okay. uh just a couple weeks ago i'm also working from home now so i have a lot more movie watching time um <laughs> and god like those were great movies and like why don't i watch those all the time you know instead yeah. of low budget italian horror films that I only am watching because I want to compile a list of low-budget dying horror films that I've seen, you know? Yeah, it's funny. It's mostly movies that I don't rewatch because once a TV show gets syndicated, sometimes it'll just be on. Like, I've probably seen every single episode of Criminal Minds at least three <laughs> times just because it was something I watched with my parents and it was always on TV. So my mom would just turn the TV on and it would just be playing. Same with like Law and Order yeah. SVU, which oh. I never actively watched week to week, but I've seen Whoa. so many episodes just because it's always on USA or something in the middle of the day. And with movies, I feel like you have to be a little more blatant with what you're rewatching, yes. especially if it's something that you own and you have to go and put it in or, you know, oh, that's if you worst. have a digital copy, you're like, okay, <laughs> this is a little easier at least. But yeah, I'm kind of enjoying the whole rewatching experience. But, you know, I think this is a pretty good spot to wrap up yeah. here. One last thing, I do like to do ratings just to gauge if I'm on the same page as my guests or not. I gave this a four out of five. I'm trying to cut out the half stars just for the sake of my sanity when I can't decide what I want to rate something. Yeah, I would I would give this a four out of five. Definitely. I give almost nothing five out of five. I have a very weird uh, rating scale. Like if you look at my letterbox, <laughs> it's like all seven and eights and then like a few nines and then like 15 tens that I've given out in my entire life. So I, you know, I just have this like, I really just like movies. They're just all about an eight and then, you know, gradually fall off from there. Yeah, I'm that way too. I end up rating a lot of things four out of five stars, whether it's movies, books, whatever. I've rated a lot of Stephen King books four out of five. And I'm like, I'll give a few fives because 
I want to see, you know, what kind of makes my top tier list at the end of my Chat Cemetery podcast. But Dan, thank you so much for coming on to talk about Wally. I do want to give you the chance to plug whatever you want to plug. So go ahead and go for it. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, you can follow me uh, at Dan Pullen Books on Twitter. Uh, that's where, you know, I do most of my sort of uh, online things. My uh, counterpart, Bradley J. Cornish, and I host. Uh, a, I guess it's technically two podcasts. It's, it's just us in two different formats. One is 26 Movies from Hell, and the other is Four Brains, One Movie. We talk about really messed up movies, uh, like Alucarda and Flesh for Frankenstein, and generally horror, experimental, but we try to stay off the beaten path. You know, we're not going to talk about Nightmare on Elm Street because we feel that everybody's already talked about it uh we're kind of looking more for hidden gems and you know weird dumb things that no one else will watch (laughs) awesome well everyone can find links to all of those things in the show notes and dan thank you again thank you all right everyone that does it for this episode of welcome to geekdom if you want to support the podcast you can do so through our patreon you can sign up for a dollar a month that'll get you a thank you on the show two dollars a month you get to pick a topic that myself and a guest will discuss on the show. For $5 a month, you can join the Welcome to Geekdom Slack group, where you can talk to myself and various guests who have been on the show. If you want to follow us on socials, you can do so at Geekdom Pod on Twitter and at Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram and Facebook. And as always, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.